This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. So we've been talking about 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And in this passage, Peter lays out, like I say, what I call a model for growth. And he gives the early church a pathway to Christian living through adding various things to their spiritual lives. And in the first lesson, we talked about faith. We talked about what that means because there's a lot of uh, different ways that that word is used these days. It's not really used in the same way that they used to use it. And so we talked about what Peter really meant when he said that he wanted his audience to have faith. We talked about virtue and what that word means. There's a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of meat to the word virtue. It means a couple of different things. It means different things in different contexts. And uh, it, what it really means for the Christian is to look into God's word and pull out what God te- the way that God tells us we should live our lives. <laughs> and we're going to talk more about that today because we're going to talk about knowledge. We will reread 2 Peter 1 verses 5 through 10 to begin our message this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 5. Peter writes, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. So, as we did in the first two lessons where we examined the meanings of those words that we were studying, we will examine the meaning of the word knowledge. It seems like a pretty simple one to me. As we use the word today, knowledge just means the possession of facts or knowing things. That's pretty simple. I think the more complex question then is what kind of knowledge is Peter trying to tell his audience that they need to add? Let me catch up here. I think that he gives us that answer in an earlier letter that he wrote to the churches in chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. When you think about it, Peter is writing to a, a people in a place and a time where knowledge about Jesus is not widespread. I think if you went out into the town today and grabbed random people off the street as they're going about their daily lives and asked them who Jesus was, they could probably give you a pretty decent answer. If you ask them what kind of things he taught, they might have a general idea, but probably not very good specifics. 
If you ask them anything more complicated than that, you might get a lot of blank stares. But knowledge, general knowledge of Jesus is pretty widespread these days, but in the first century, it wasn't. So when, so I think it's easy to imagine that Peter is telling his audience, you have faith in this person named Jesus, and you've started to add good ways of living to your life. Now it's time to learn more about the man, about our Savior, and about his teachings. He says in First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, but, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He, so he tells them that they need to be ready to provide an answer, ready to provide a reason, because they might be going through some difficult times, they might be going through suffering, they might even be persecuted, and people are going to ask, if, they, if these Christians are living righteous lives, people are going to ask, why do you continue to live this way even though you're being punished for it? Wouldn't it be easier to change the way that you live? Wouldn't it be easier to throw away your values so that you can fit in better, so that you can stop this persecution? These Christians need to be ready to provide a reason, but if they don't have any knowledge, if they've got a lot of faith but not a lot of knowledge, they might be ill-prepared to do that. So in these two passages, we have a suggestion that the Christian should possess knowledge of two areas of uh, spiritual facts. Redemption, because you have to know about your faith in order to obey it, and virtue. Additionally, in other places of Scripture, places that we won't turn to and read this morning, uh, we get numerous encouragements for God's children about things that may not pertain to salvation and virtuous living, but about uh, things that would be smart to do. I call these uh, encouragements of wisdom. And I would include the uh, addition, so I would include the addition of wisdom to uh, the Christian's tool set in the pursuit of knowledge. So how do we do this? How do we add knowledge to our spiritual lives? Well, the short answer, the answer that would leave us with plenty of time to get ready for lunch would be just read your Bible and call it good. But I don't think I would be performing my duty to inform you well just to leave it at that. I have some advice, and it is just my advice, so you can take it or leave it as it is. I think that, but I think that this will help you to focus your pursuit of knowledge, increase the time that you're able to uh, devote to study, and to spend that time if effectively. So first, some general advice uh, about learning from Scripture. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that are easy to understand. You know, Jesus wept. That's a pretty simple idea. It's a very vivid image. You can picture that. There's some commandments from the scripture that are easy to understand. Uh, for example, I got a little bit ahead of my slides here. Maybe I should just turn it off and go from the notes. 
yeah, because it's not going to match. I'm just going to shut that off. I hope you don't mind. For an example of an easy in, uh, commandment to understand, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, where Paul writes, Wherefore, putting away not lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, that seems easy to understand, right? That's just don't lie. This is a simple command regarding virtuous living. We don't have to spend a hundred hours studying the entire Bible to understand the full context of don't lie. But there are other verses that do require more study at, at face value using, using a, perhaps a misunderstanding of words that we use today compared to the way that those words would have been used in the past we might get a misunderstanding of what the scripture is trying to teach us. I have full faith that a in good faith study of the scriptures will work out any contradictions that you might stumble across. That taking the humble mindset of my first reading of this scripture doesn't have to be right can get us through a lot of those difficult passages. So I think that the guiding principle of our faith is that a contradiction isn't a flaw in the text, but a flaw in our understanding. So keep that in mind as you study, especially if, if you come across a difficult passage to understand. The second piece of advice I would give about studying is to Ignore the evil suggestion that you're not allowed to read your Bible if you can't pay full attention. Let me explain what I mean by that. Have you ever been reading any book, doesn't have to be the Bible, any book, and you get to a certain point and you realize, I can't remember what I just read on the last page. So what do you do? Do you close the book and put it away and never finish because I can't pay attention so I might as well not read at all no you go you go back and you read it again we should treat our bibles that same way how if you're reading along and you realize you get to the end of a page end of a chapter end of a verse and you realize i don't understand what that meant or i've forgotten what i've read a few minutes ago well then go back and read again if you get distracted and you forget where you left off well it doesn't hurt to read the same passage of the Bible two times, just start over, read again. Or if you're like me, and you have a lot more time for audiobooks than you do for physical books these days, well, you can listen to your Bible. You might be listening in a situation where you can't give the Bible your full attention. If you're driving in downtown Dallas during rush hour, you might not be able to pay full attention to your Bible. But I would think that having your Bible playing on the radio is a better way of spending that time that you're going to be stuck in that traffic than just whatever radio station you happen to find that you don't mind listening to for a couple hours. Or how about some other mundane task? How about washing the dishes? How about cleaning the house? How about anything where we think, I can, I'm just going to shut my brain off and turn on whatever music comes to mind and do this little chore. And audiobooks are not for everybody, so I'm not saying that you have to replace your music with 
an audio Bible, but it's just a suggestion. I also want us to consider some advice that Paul gave to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, where he told Timothy, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. But Paul did not say, Till I come, give attendance to study. He said, Till I come, give attendance to reading. He's not telling Timothy that you have to, until I get there, sit, set aside some time every single day to really dig deep into the scriptures and come up with something productive to share. No, he just wants Timothy to read. So you can fulfill this encouragement from Paul, whether you are studying deeply or just casually reading. I hope that, that these, two, uh, these two things help you find more time to read your Bible. But maybe you're thinking that you don't know where to start. You'd, maybe you have plenty of time, or maybe you're going to find some more time after today, but you don't know where to start reading. Well, I have some suggestions for you to consider. These are places that uh, seasoned Christians consider to be of great value to read over and over again, so I think it would be great places for you to start reading if you're thinking that you need to start from scratch. The first place that I would begin would be with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts. These Books teach us about the life of Jesus, what he did, what his direct teachings were, and the things that his disciples did immediately after his resurrection and ascension. These books give us the foundation of faith in Christ from his life, his teachings, his miracles, and from uh, the church that his disciples set out to establish in the first century. There's lots of instruction in righteousness and reasoning for hope in the resurrection in these books. And these, might, these books will give you ideas of where you might want to consider deeper study after you've built up a good knowledge base in the scriptures. When that good knowledge base is established, I can't tell you. Uh, in, in my mind, it comes from a mindset that when you read a verse, any verse in the scriptures, you can immediately start making connections to other passages. Places where the scriptures build on each other and give us uh, more things to think about. The next place I would recommend reading and studying is another favorite of Christians to go back and read over and over again, and that is the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is set up very conveniently for us because, and y'all feel free to laugh at me, I forget if Proverbs has 30 or 31 chapters, but half of the months of the year have 30 or 31 days, whichever is appropriate. So you just pick one of those months and say, every day I'm going to read a chapter of Proverbs. And it's really easy to remember what chapter you're supposed to read because it matches the date that's on the calendar. While the Proverbs are part of the Old Testament, and therefore they're not binding 
on Christians. They do give us a lot of good information about God's perspective on wisdom and morality. And again, while these things aren't commandments, these are considered to be wisdom. This is good information to know. These are th- this is information that can inform the decisions that we make in our day-to-day lives. And the third recommendation I would make are the letters of the apostles. The letters of Paul and James and Peter. Most of these letters are straightforward and do not use difficult reasoning that gets frequently misunderstood. Uh, Some of them are more difficult, so for an easier read, I recommend James and the letters to the Corinthians, the letters of Peter, and the letters of John. Those letters of John especially are nice and short, so if you're looking for a quick read sometime, those are easy to get through quickly. Now, once you've done a lot of reading and you've developed that knowledge base where you start making connections between scriptures, then is a very good time to begin deep study really digging into the scriptures to try and find those deeper meanings that teachers put together lessons about. We could spend an additional hour talking about how to study the Bible. I'm going to try to condense it into just a few minutes. The first thing we need to keep in mind, and there's a fancy word for it that I can't think of a simpler way to put it, Uh, we need to consider hermeneutics. And this is a word that uh, just means method of interpretation. The, The concept of hermeneutics defines how Christians today study and interpret the Bible. The conventional method of Christian hermeneutics is two rules. The first is that scripture will be interpreted literally unless it is obviously figurative so some kind of figure of speech, or if the context tells us that it's figurative. So a couple of examples. I don't think the, the scripture says that it was raining cats and dogs, but if it were to use a figure of speech like that, then we can understand that's not literal. The, there are not literally cats and dogs falling out of the sky if the scripture were to use that to describe, say, the flood in Genesis. An example of the context telling us that it's figurative would be the parables of Jesus. When the scripture tells us that Jesus told them a parable, it's telling us that he's using a figure of speech, that figure of speech being a parable or a little bit newer word for figure of speech is is a fable. He's using a fictional story to teach a real lesson. So the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan means that there wasn't a literal uh, Jew who was literally ambushed by a group of thugs and literally helped by a literal Samaritan. It means that this is a story about people that could be real but probably wasn't. It's a figure of speech to be used to teach a real lesson. This is important for understanding what the Bible is saying, but then there are passages that can remain confusing even when studied this way. 
So I'm going to ask you a trick question. I'm going to tell you in advance that it's a trick question so that you don't feel tricked here in a few minutes. For a couple of moments, decide for yourself what is the most important verse in the Bible. What is the most important verse in the Bible? If you want to, you can write one down so that we can debate at lunch whether or not I'm right. And this is my opinion let me state that from let me state that fully this is my opinion you're free to choose another passage i think the most important verse in the bible is second timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 i think it's the most important verse in the bible because it tells us that all of the verses in the bible are the most important in this way paul writes all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness. So here, Paul tells us the standard by which a scripture is measured in its importance. It's inspired, number one, and it's profitable, number two. And he says that all scriptures are both of these things. And so I, I conclude from that that they're all easily important. Now let me illustrate for you one more in one other way why i think that this verse is the one that's most important consider romans chapter 3 and verse 28 this passage says therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law now imagine that you thought that was the most important verse in the bible and i'll tell you i've read an article written by somebody that i'm pretty sure thinks this is the most important verse in the bible because he spins thousands of words interpreting the rest of the Bible from the standpoint that man is justified by faith. And he says, because, without using these words, he says, because Romans 3.28 is the most important verse in the Bible, we know that baptism is not essential for salvation. And because we know that baptism isn't essential for salvation, we know that the Ethiopian eunuch was saved before he asked if he could be baptized And we know that he knew that he was saved before he asked if he could be baptized. He says, we know that the Jews on the day of Pentecost were saved before they asked what they needed to to do to be saved. And what they really meant when they said to be saved was to be added to the church. He says that we know all of these passages that talk about baptism. We can just make up whatever we want about them because we know what the most important verse of the Bible is, and it's this verse over here that says we're justified by faith. And so, my experience with that article, coupled with my reading of 2 Timothy 3.16, says that we need to consider all of these verses equally. That we can't, through one verse, throw away the literal meaning of another verse, especially if they're in two different places. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if the scripture says what you're about to read is figurative, then we, then we throw away the literal meaning of that verse and we read all of these figurative verses literally. But I am saying we need to be careful not to elevate any one scripture above the others to the point that we begin to twist scripture to mean something that it does not say. Now, I think I could keep going for another hour talking about the importance of studying Scripture the right way, but 
I don't want to use up all of our time for lunch this afternoon. I think that I've given you good information to think about, some suggestions to chew on. I hope that uh, you, ha- you find something of benefit from this, group, from this study. Whether you are a recent addition to the church or whether you're a seasoned Christian, whether you consider yourself seasoned or not, I hope that you find uh, more time to read your Bibles after today. I hope that you find better ways to study after today. And I hope that you find that you are able to add to your virtue knowledge after this study. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.